0: I have to be delusional enough to think people are going to listen to this it's thunderstorming outside there's lightning hit me with it come on
1: how smart can you be when you have huge mantis okay he him go put your pronouns and go sit in the corner i'll take care of this (laughs) it's just common sense
0: hi everyone welcome back to common sense I'm super excited for today's episode with guest Joshua Lysik. Joshua is a professional ghostwriter, having penned 80 full-length books. He is also the only certified ghostwriter and certified hypnotist in the world, leading to the development of a technique he calls hypno-writing. His newest book, So Good They Call You a Fake, explains how to best market your knowledge to prove you're the top expert in your niche. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the conversation, please rate the podcast in the Spotify app. righty, let's get into it. Hi Joshua, how are you doing today?
1: Ah, uh, pretty dandy myself, Bowtie Commoner. Thanks for having me on.
0: I am so pleased to have you on today, and for those who are listening, this is the first real person to be on the podcast. We're very excited. This is a big leap for the Bowtie Commoner community, So we're really grateful to Joshua for (laughs) for coming on here today, and this conversation is one that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. So Joshua, you're a ghostwriter. How did you become a ghostwriter?
1: By accident. I began my journey as a ghostwriter, not as a ghost, but as a writer. When I was 20 years old, I got a two-book independent publishing deal for novels I had written and being uh, an aspiring novelist since my earliest days and my earliest memories of my youth. That was kind of a big deal. And as I'm going and signing copies and taking selfies with fans back in the days when you had to use the flip phone and so you had to like turn it around and you couldn't see what was in the view. And so it would be like off centered smudged uh, photo those days I was signing books meeting fans and two of my readers asked me if I would help them write their books because I was an early 20 something and they were three times my age and had wanted to write a book longer than I'd been alive and they asked me if I'd help and I said okay fine sure I'll help you with your book and I've been saying okay fine sure I'll help you with your book ever since.
0: And not only are you a ghost writer but you are also a hypnotist. So what is the backstory for becoming a hypnotist?
1: Yes, yes. So now I tell people that books are long form hypnosis scripts. I've done a lot of work over the years in direct response copywriting. That's where we write sales pages, sales letters and ads. And the idea is that these letters, pages, ads and uh, sales emails that people will read them and say, well, I have to buy that right now. So there's a a direct response to the content, to the pitch. That's what direct response copywriting is, is, writing the words for that pitch. I've realized that hypnosis, direct response copywriting, and great books all follow the same principles. It was one of my clients, a fellow by the name of Scott Adams, creator of the Dilbert comic strip, It was he who introduced me originally to hypnosis as an essential to add to one's talent stack is what he calls a person's collection of complementary skills Mm -hmm. that collectively make them perhaps the best in the world with that unique skill set. Not that they're a top one percenter in any one skill, but the combination of them makes them ridiculously valuable. And he pointed out that hypnosis is one of those essentials. And that's where I began my journey learning about uh, hypnosis and what it can do. I can go into the definition, the basics, and busting a few myths if you'd like, tied common. I would absolutely
0: be overjoyed. Yes, yes.
1: So most people, when they hear or read or otherwise see the word hypnosis, usually something like a swaying pendulum or pocket watch comes to mind. Mm-hmm. There's a, a mentalist or a stage magician, some sort of performer who's pulling these tricks. And maybe they're not making a person uh, look like they're levitating, but perhaps they can make the person bark like a dog or uh, perform perform some sort of, let's say, not safe for work act on stage in front of everyone. And everyone is... Uh, a, gasping to themselves and feels amazed and perhaps uh, disgusted by what's happening. And then if the if a person afterwards is asked, they say they had no memory of what happened. All of that is not what hypnosis is. <laughs> <laughs> that is a performance. That's more akin to a magic show. Now, the, the part that is is uh, not shared is that when the person says they don't have a memory of it, usually they're lying. That's the first point to make. And the second point to make is hypnosis can't make someone do what they don't want to do. So the person who's up there doing whatever the hypnotist was telling them to do, they wanted to do that. It's usually the people who thrive on any kind of attention who want to be up up on stage doing whatever it takes embarrassing themselves putting themselves to putting themselves to shame (laughs) or otherwise (laughs) humiliating themselves they get off on that kind of thing and that's not just for this sort of stage hypnosis it's more like pseudo-hypnosis but that's for any sort of a stage performance be it a magician or an illusionist or a mentalist or what have you so now that we know what hypnosis is not well what is it actually hypnosis as an experience is more like being zoned out you're kind of sitting there listening to the professional hypnotist hypnotherapist or perhaps you've got your earbuds on and you are going on a walk or you're just kind of chilling on the couch with your feet up and you hear the soothing voice and you're just kind of lost in the moment there a little bit all of your faculties are available to you you know where you're at you're not disappearing into the fourth dimension You're just right there kind of hanging out and you begin to feel zoned out. But it's an intentional zoning out. There's something that you want from the experience. And what hypnosis does is it begins to pull up the veil of the conscious mind and speak directly, hypnotist, to the subconscious mind where all of our beliefs, values, behaviors, habits, and more are located. And in the course of the experience, the hypnotist bringing the person into a friendly, helpful trance comes up with stories that have within them embedded commands, commands embedded inside the stories that are told by the hypnotist to the client. And what's cool about these, sometimes they're called suggestions because that sounds nicer than command (laughs) It's it's, it's a little more pleasant even though they're really commands they're imperatives it's a story within a story in which new beliefs are replacing old ones new habits the seeds of new habits are planted during that 15 minute 45 minute or perhaps even two hour session most sessions aren't that long but there are some cases where it might make sense to go that long. I've, I've experienced those myself. And I've done 90-minute sessions with a few of the clients that I've had over the years. But I prefer to make the hypnosis tracks uh, either for one-on-one uh, use or for uh, available for sale. Uh, and my favorite all-time use of hypnosis, application of hypnosis, is hypno-writing, which works well for writing sales pages that make my clients a crap ton of money or to use them for books which also make my clients a crap ton of money. Because again, hypnosis scripts are sales pages. Hypnosis scripts are books. Understand that hypnosis is not making anyone buy anything that they don't want to buy. And this is why we realize professional hypnotists can't lie or manipulate their clients or their customers, because then it doesn't work anymore. You can alter someone's beliefs in as much as you're helping them go in the direction of what they want. My, my hypnosis trainer, a woman named Shannon Keyes Susevich here in Ohio, where I live, and by the way, I recommend that anyone who does get hypnosis training Work with someone who's certified through the National Guild of Hypnotists. It's the world's oldest governing body for professional licensed hypnotists. And work with someone who's in your geography, your state or your province or your city, if all all possible, because this is a regulated practice. Uh, We are practitioners. We are the real deal. There are laws about what hypnotists can and cannot do and can and cannot say. Uh, This is not some fly-by-night business. This is the real deal. Anyway, back to Mm -hmm. hypnosis and Shannon Key Susevich, my trainer. What I learned from her is a fundamental of hypnosis, which is that hypnosis is a bit like a GPS. You tell the hypnotist where you want to go, they'll tell you how to get there, but it's you who's driving. Anytime you can stop the car and get out, (laughs) or you can throw the (laughs) GPS out the window, perhaps metaphorically in that case, but not literally. And so when someone is willfully submitting to the wisdom of a hypnotherapist it's the same way you put a address into your gps you trust it's going to get you there and that's what professional hypnotists do and what's cool about this work is people think it's too good to be true it's so good they call it fake and i know this myself because the testimonials that one of my hypnosis programs called the one i'm thinking of is called train ride to greatness uh, the testimonials say, the people say things like, there's no way I thought this would work. I thought hypnotist, hyp- hypnosis was of the devil. I thought these people were like professional persuaders who try to manipulate you and call demons into your life. And then I, with skepticism, took Joshua's uh, program. And uh, I, I can't believe it worked. I can't believe how well it worked. I can't believe how fast it worked. It worked. And I still, I still don't know how he did it. Those are the kind of results that get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I bring those experiences, that, that ability to change someone's beliefs in real time in the reading experience and forever. I put that in book form and I deploy that on behalf of my clients so that they can change their readers' beliefs in an instant and forever reading a few chapters of the book. And that results in many of the readers then picking up the book And then after finishing a few chapters, putting it down again and saying, okay, this is too hard. I'm just going to hire the author directly to implement it all for me. And I get pictures. I get screenshots. I get email attachments of people who take pictures of the $25,000 checks they get from clients who found them through their book, $12,000 checks, $10,000 invoices, $50,000, even $100,000 plus uh, in a few cases. Hey, Joshua, your book may be a million dollars this year. Thanks. Mm -hmm. testimonials, and it's because of the application of hypno writing, and it boggles the mind that I'm the only person to have figured this out. So to this day, as still as of June 2023, I am the only certified professional ghostwriter and certified professional hypnotist in the world, even in all of human history, which is again is bizarre to me. But when I think about it, consider how well hypnosis works to heal people of their conditions. And this statement has not been approved or reviewed by the FDA or the USDA or any other governing body I needed to point out. Uh, it's purely uh, an opinion based on anecdotal experiences and unverified reports. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> um, but the sort of people who are drawn to hypnosis are those with a caregiver's heart. They truly want to help people and so if they can do that for 150 bucks in two sessions they will do that for 150 bucks in two sessions the vast majority of professional hypnotists have only a couple of clients they see every single month and it works but because it works so well they have the problem that many appliance manufacturers had in the states back in the 60s and 70s where they would make an absolute tank of a dishwasher that thing would last for 150 years and of course the problem is that uh, you need to sell products more than uh once every 150 years Mm -hmm. and so planned obsolescence needed to be uh brought into existence be brought into the business model so that the thing would only last a few years a couple of years even, in some cases, two years or less appliances last. And of course, they cost significantly more now, despite the fact that they last uh, so, little, um, so little time. The alternative, of course, hypnosis is traditional talk therapy, where one shows up to their uh, appointments. And the, the joke now is, so therapy is where you meet with the liberal and they talk to you until you agree with them, right? is the joke about what modern therapy has become. And that's kind of the idea. The therapist is financially incentivized to not fix your problems. But hypnotists, it's baked into the experience that it's supposed to work in as few sessions as possible. And if it doesn't, well, then you move on to something else. I'm not saying it works for everybody. There are some people who are unable to be hypnotized for one reason or another. They just don't have trance states or perhaps they they lack what we know as the mind's eye or the mind's ear or mind's taste buds, so on and and so forth. So it's not for everyone. It is for the type of people who read books, who consume media be it non-fiction or fiction. Now, I recognize Bowtie common. I've gone on for a little while here. I <laughs> have uh, that first question about what is and is not hypnosis <laughs> to have to do. And there's quite a few threads I would like you to go ahead and yank on, whichever one is most pleasing to you.
0: So I have a few comments. Your piece about the traveling hypnotists that are more like magicians in that the people who say they forget the show and that they were truly hypnotized. I was chuckling to myself because I remember a seventh grade hypnotist show where Bowtie Commoner ended up on stage and swore to all of her friends that it was truly hypnosis while she was just up there being a ham. So that was pretty funny. But um, very interesting stuff in regards to It's gentle suggestions where you're connecting with the deep subconscious, and that is what is making it truly powerful as a sales letter. So I think a lot of people listening are entrepreneurs, budding entrepreneurs, and they want to write the best sales copy that they can. So how does hypnosis allow you to write the most compelling writing?
1: Yes, and that's an excellent question because most people who come to hypnosis are, are, again, interested in helping people, be it sleep better or lose weight or to give up smoking or some other sort of practical self-help type of problem and solution that they've not been able to find an existing solution that, that works for them. However, there are those of us who understand the promise of hypnosis and its process, and we like to apply it or perhaps map it onto our domain, our field. And this is so rarely done that when it is, it works so well that the person doing it, seeing how well it works, often does not credit hypnosis for doing it because they don't want to give away how they're able to get such spectacular results. And I'll just let that sit there, because uh, there are those who are in the self-help, in the spirituality, even in the organized religion space, over the last 30 years, who have become the most financially successful and the most renowned. And their secret is simply the application of hypnosis to their seminars, to their sermons and do other content, be it in-person or online, such as a webinar or perhaps a conference. We'll just let that sit there and uh, allow the mind to wander and the wheels to turn. Now, coming to your question about applying hypnosis to the business context, understand that the subconscious mind only ages till about five, six, seven years old. And around the ages five, six, seven years old, That's when the conscious mind continues to develop higher order reasoning, abstract reasoning abilities, they can do algebra, (laughs) so on and so forth. However, the subconscious mind is embodied. It's tactile. It's literal. It requires concrete reasoning, just as a small child does. Children are in a perpetual trance under the age of five. And so in order to be effective communicators, we we must not write at a fifth grade level. We must write at a age five reading level. I don't literally mean age five. I mean, understand how a five-year-old communicates. Everything is literal. It is multi-sensory. Their entire existence is what they can see, what they can hear, what they can t- taste, what they can smell, what they can feel. And so the more we are able to use that, frankly, multi-sensory persuasion in our writing, be it a book or be it a sales page or be it a Twitter thread or be it a YouTube video, whether it's going viral or it's seen by a mere 100 people. We want to have the strongest possible experience available to those 100 or 100,000 people who are consuming our content. And so writing in a multisensory way, what does it look like? How does it feel when the product is working? What am I hearing from people around me when they see me using this product? Allow me to get a taste of what the product is like by witnessing it in action in videos. Help me make sure I'm not able to smell anything fishy with this product and its claims. So allow me to avail myself of innumerable social proofs, testimonials, so on and so forth. And that is one little tactic that applied with gusto can make you rich.
0: Mm. Well, it sounds very compelling when you say it. So I have to say that you're giving a lot of credence to your advice just by the way that you are presenting it now. Um, But one of the things I've also interested about in regards to ghost writing is that you need to make it sound like the author actually wrote it. So it needs to be written in their voice, which I imagine is rather difficult. So how do you go about writing in their voice or in the voice of the entrepreneur that's writing the sales letter or just to make it more personalized for their audience?
1: Yes, yes. So the first thing to point out is that most people don't have a writing voice. They don't have an author voice. They don't have a writing style. That's the, that's the first thing mm-hmm. that we learn is that for most people, their voices are indistinguishable from one another. Mm-hmm. However, there are people who are writers already, even accomplished writers in their domain. And they have certainly like, 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 like to uh, communicate things. Perhaps they enjoy using prepositions in a certain way, or if they have an aversion to adverbs like I do, or is it particular that they just absolutely hate to use, uh, if it's at all possible to avoid that word. So it's like little rules about their own quirks that are worth picking up. That's rare. Again, most people don't have a writing voice, communication style, etc., etc. I will... Make sure I'm able to communicate accurately from their perspective by having a few conversations with them. Just a few little friendly conversations where they get to join me on the Zoom room, quick little ice breaking uh, session for the first couple minutes, and then they can sit back and for the very first time and perhaps only time in their entire work week, they get to let go of the reins, just enjoy the ride, and allow someone else to take them where they need to go. And I'm doing the heavy lifting of filling in the outline and asking the questions. And they're answering stream of consciously, not having to worry about something sounding the perfect way, or even explaining it right from their perspective. They can just talk, answer a few questions, and behind the scenes, this beautiful, wonderful masterpiece of a book is being created. And of course, they can have access to all the chapters and all the content in any given moment. And I do need their eyes on it in order to get their official sign off. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, my clients tell me, uh, Joshua, whatever I said, uh, you took it and you found the best way to say it. And as a result, I have trademarked the best way to say it. And that, of course, is a course and a series of courses and classes on persuasive hypnosis applied writing that have sold very well. It's been a multiple six figure information product side business of mine. I don't spend hardly any time at all. And yet the things just uh, pretty much sell themselves.
0: Awesome. So super, super cool. And I imagine that you've written ghost written books for some pretty interesting, eccentric people. And so you've had to interview them and take them through that process as you were just describing Do you have any crazy interview moments or eccentric experiences with those individuals that you'd like to share?
1: I've had so many conversations with the quote unquote A-listers that I'm unable to give a specific number of how many conversations. Be those individuals in Hollywood or in Washington, uh, political people or be they the the top dogs or the big cheese of their industry. Those sorts of people that when someone see them from afar, they'll point and they will whisper to their buddy, "Oh, look who it is. Look, those sorts of individuals have been my clients over the years. I don't often talk about them much, and I don't talk about them much at all, either in my new book, because it's not interesting And why it's not interesting. Number one, I'm a professional. I'm not a tabloid uh, journalist, but I repeat myself with tabloid and journalist. So anyone who ghost wrote for someone whose name is searched one million times a month, that book is going to be successful simply by the number of people that are searching for it. What's much, much harder is taking someone who is the best kept secret in their niche or even in their network. And the only way they've ever been able to make a living for themselves is a string of of local uh, word of mouth marketing that's happened for them. So they believe themselves to be successful and they certainly are and are able to produce amazing, incredible results that might make the casual observer say, I don't know how you did that. It sure looks fake, but I don't think it is. Please do that for me, too. Mm. Those sorts of results. But they're not getting the attention. They're not commanding the focus of what they believe they deserve. They should have. And frankly, they do. They've already earned the status of authority, but they're merely an expert. And one of the reasons they're an expert, not an authority, is because they don't have a book. Yet, they haven't written, they haven't often published and launched the book for their space, for their industry, for their vertical, for their uh, niche. Now, let's wheel it back around the original question that took us on this brief little journey here, which was about interesting stories, perhaps some zany experiences. And one of the stories, or perhaps anecdotes, that is most interesting to people is I once ghost wrote for a man who proclaimed to be the true reincarnated Jesus Christ himself. Huh. I don't think he was. Are you sure? Our relationship <laughs> ended when after I finished the book, he refused to pay the remaining invoices and said, uh, I'm canning you. We're done here. I don't like how this has turned out. And then he proceeded to go against his own feedback and got the book published as it was the day I had sent it him the final draft. Which is more likely that he wasn't Jesus or he was, but Jesus is broke.
0: (laughs) Fair point. So something that you were alluding to was that every business does need a book. Why does every business need a book?
1: Every business needs a book because from the customer's perspective, it's more difficult than ever to choose the right, most trustworthy vendor in any given industry. The internet has brought us great advancements and great benefits to us all. However, one of the downsides of everyone having access to the entire world at any given moment is the fact that we all have access to the entire world at any given moment. And that means customers do too. One of the ways that they try to sort out who is is worth hiring and who isn't is through word of mouth. But the problem is you don't know what you don't know. You also don't know who you don't know. And if you're looking to work with someone in a new space or a new sort of relationship, yes, you're going to put out feelers. Hey, has anyone ever worked with someone like this? Hey, who have you hired? And then you might get five different responses. You might interview all five organizations and be, I don't know who I want to work with. I don't really know. You can't tell. How do I know? This is a lot of money. But the person who is the easiest relationship to begin is the business whose owner has a book why it's 20 bucks it's 15 bucks it's 10 bucks it's 30 bucks and for that small amount of money and for a few short hours of your time you the potential client the consumer the customer the browser are able to avail yourself of the story of the person you're thinking about hiring and you as the author can reprogram their worldview in real time in a few pages in minutes. You can be the one who changes the way they think about your products, your services, not just yours, but your entire industry. You are the one who quite literally deflowers them when it comes to experiencing your industry for the first time. That's how important writing a book is. You think your competitors are are going to do this? No, they're busy doing whatever else your competitors are doing. They're not producing authority books. And so often, authors who come to me have been experts... But they've not been in a position where they get all the free attention. They're not necessarily writing one viral thread after another, amassing 500,000 YouTube subscribers or perhaps 1.1 million between Instagram and Twitter combined. They tend to be the people who have had meager to massive success. But it's been quiet. It's been a whisper. And they realize it's not fair. The universe owes them. And again, I don't like to tout people who would have made it anyway. Because we can't learn anything from celebrities, really, who were getting 100,000 followers or a day. Or perhaps uh, multiple hundreds of thousands of people Googling them every month. Any advice you get from that person is not going to be great. And this mirrors the uh, insight that's shared by our perhaps favorite anonymous uh, account, Bowtie Bowl themselves, which is that one should one ought not take dating advice from attractive people. Mm -hmm. Do not take investment advice from people who inherited their wealth Mm -hmm. and do not take advice on how to become authority by people who are getting 100,000 people searching their name on social media every month and have been doing so for years. We should be taking advice from, as Bowtie Bull might put it, the three who score as 10s. Right. If you understand what I mean.
0: So I know some of my listeners are going to be thinking like, okay, so I need a book. I need a book because it's a lead generator. It's an early way to earn clients. um, And it's a way to grow authority in my niche, 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 whatever. Why do I need to go get it published or ghost-published by a flourishing author such as yourself? Why can't I write my own Word doc, self-publish it, and post it on Amazon?
1: You can. However, I will say this. The most difficult parts of writing a book are choosing which book to write and then what to do with the thing once you've finished it. So let's talk about the first. Everyone has 501 book ideas. Only one of them is the correct book idea. And this is why people pay me the big bucks. It is not just writing the thing. It's telling them what book to write. And that's a rare experience because as far as I know, no one has written more books than I have by this age. I'm 31 and a half years old. And I'm currently ghostwriting my 81st, 82nd, and 83rd full-length nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. Name a topic. I've probably written five or six books on it already, some of which have been international bestsellers. And I know all the mistakes you're about to make with your book and how to do it different. That's why people hire me is the the first point. And the second point is that not just the experience of working on the books, it's also knowing what else is in that industry. So knowing that's in that space it's being able to figure out what other books are coming out, what other books have come out, how those books have overpromised and underdelivered, and what the gap is that you can meet for that particular industry in such a way that you can get attention by being the thing people are looking for but haven't been able to find yet. So what your book is, it's a tool to get a job done that users are already looking for. That users are already looking for. Most people are going to write a BS book that's all about their own stories and life experiences and they're going to call it something ridiculous like The High Performance Guide to Productivity. The High Performance Guide to Productivity has been written 51,697 times. You do not need to be the next one. You need to be the first you. And that's difficult. That is painfully difficult. And people pay a lot of money have someone else do it for them. And that's what I do. I do, however, have a free resource call, called Your Golden Book Idea available on my website that helps people think through some of the most difficult aspects of the most difficult aspect of authorship. And then, of course, there's the how do I format it and how do I write chapters, how do I structure it and, and all of that. And because I want to help as many experts become authorities in their domain as possible. I have adapted my ghostwriting services into a done-with-you experience called the Authority Accelerator in which we outline, draft, edit, reformat, and launch five books at a time for five authors over a five-month period. We began the first three weeks ago, and already three of the people are on chapter Five, as in full length chapter drafts almost halfway done with their books in three weeks and it's because i told them what the correct book was to write Mm -hmm. so they are freed to allow their creativity to be unleashed into the correct book and they know they're writing the right stories giving the right tips and the right advice and that's worth paying the big bucks for Or even the smaller books, (laughs) if -hmm. if you don't have a multiple six-figure ghostwriting budget, for example. There's the uh, the authority program available as well. And then for everyone who just wants to get a taste of the experience, there's my book and there's the golden book idea uh, training that's available for free. At this point, there's no excuse for writing the wrong book. And yet most people continue to do that. Uh, But I have something to say about that. I'm going to stop them. (laughs)
0: awesome 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 so one question I do have before we get into the discussion of the book which I really want to discuss how do you know if you have a a book worth writing does everyone have a book worth writing do you need to be the number one authority expert in your very specialized specific niche or can anyone find a compelling justification for a book
1: the obvious statement for a professional book writer <laughs> to say is something like, yes, I believe everyone should write a book. That way, everyone will want to hire somebody like me, so I'll be able to make even more money. No, wrong. Eh. I'm going the other direction. I do not think most people have a book in them. I don't think most people should write a book either. And the reason I don't think most people should write a book is because they don't ha- live lives that are worth writing a book about sorry maybe that makes me an elitist actually not sorry i'm okay with being an an elitist i've been called many things Uh, some of them are true most of them false but it's still interesting for example one of the uh, claims about me is as i am a credibly accused uh misogynist and and male chauvinist uh, according to the mainstream press and that's a lot of fun uh but haters as i teach are the most valuable marketers. And one of the best things you can do is create a small army of mascots who are cheering you on by saying, hey everybody, come look at this loser over here. You gotta see this. It's a bit like Cunningham's Law where the fastest way to get the right answer is to give the wrong answer. The fastest way to spread your name and brand like wildfire is to get a bunch of people hating on you and and making it go viral. And then that's how you reach people who can love you, but never would have found you in the first place. And then they see how bad the reviews are for you and how bad the people are giving those bad reviews. And those then, negative plus negative, equal positive. Bad reviews from bad people then become good reviews. And so the miserable schmucks hating on you are in fact making the case to pay attention to you, to people who never would have other found you otherwise. And that of course is another recurring theme inside the book is how I've been able to do that for my clients. Uh, Allow them to get results so good that people say, well, that's obviously fake. You're a cheater, a liar, a fraud and a scam. Uh, And enough people will pay attention to that and then say, oh, maybe, maybe I should buy their book to find out. Oh, wow, this is pretty good. Maybe I should buy their course next. Oh yeah, this is great too. I wonder if they have a coaching session available. Oh, 1500 bucks for one hour. Oh yeah, that sounds pretty good. Wow, can I hire you for $10,000 a month on retainer? Okay, great. That's how and why haters are your most valuable marketers. I know Bowtie Commoner, you had a question in there, but at this point I've brought us through so many digressions, I don't recall what the question was.
0: The question was originally, does everyone have a book in them? And you quickly answered no. So you, you totally answered the question, and then you added a lot of colorful insights on top of it. So <laughs> it was a well-answered question. Um, so next, I think we laid quite well into the new book, So Good They Call You a Fake, which you were just describing with the haters who become your biggest mascots. So who is this book intended to help and in what way?
1: Yes. So my new book, So Good They Call You a Fake, is not for beginners, nor is it for charlatans and grifters and the type of people who want to make a quick buck off someone who didn't know any better. And the reason it's not for people who want to make a quick buck off people who didn't know any better is because it requires you to be good at what you do. There is a minimum viable hustle and a minimum level of competence that are required as prerequisites for the greatness that I teach how to achieve in the book. And so people who are looking for a hit of inspiration shot right into their veins. It might be a fun book for you, but I would rather you read Atomic Habits, Expert Secrets, and $100 million offers if that's what you're going for. I can direct you to those books and say that mine's not for you. Mine is for the intermediates to the advanced the people who are excellent at what they do but perhaps they're solopreneurs perhaps they're only charging 150 bucks a session or they've been consulting and their results are remarkable relative to the competitors but people will say oh yeah your your competitor is a household name who are you again you're just one person well who am i going to choose one person yeah your results are outsized but you're still just one person and then there's the trusted household name in your industry, and it ain't you, Bucko. That's the type of person I want—the person who is languishing in obscurity. Now, languishing is relative. You have done great results. You might perhaps be the crown jewel of your local space and of your network. You might be the go-to in the in that regional or local small pond, but you're meant for more. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. And in order to make that leap from the pond to the ocean where you can dominate, where you can dominate, you must become so good they call you a fake. And that means you must document the predictable steps to creating miracles for your clients. And that's what I teach you how to do so that your results are indistinguishable from magic perhaps even the stage magic of the traveling uh hypnotist who's able to do things to people that are otherwise seen as impossible to do there is a method to that there is a method to that it's entertaining and it seems impossible and yet people pay a lot of money to witness it that can be you
0: well i definitely want to jump on board with that pitch And it's interesting that you mention, you know, this is not a beginner book. This is for the intermediate to the advanced. And you also mentioned that not everyone has a book in them. So I find this very interesting because Bowtie Bull also says, you know, only sell to the rich. Only go for the the upper class or the elites um, that have the money to spend. And if you're not one of them, like, you know, get there or, not, or you're, you're done. So I just want to hear what your t- point of view is on someone who's listening to this and is not currently having an idea for a book who doesn't have a book in them quite yet. Do you have any recommendations to that person to get there?
1: Yes, and that is get results. Get enviable results for yourself for clients, for friends, for family. It's the equivalent of before versus after pictures that so many fitness professionals use. Post results, show the receipts, share what you've been able to do, collect mountains of social proof, testimonials that seem impossible that they could possibly be true. So good, the FDA comes after you. okay, maybe not that. Maybe not that. but the so good they call you or the so good they meme is applicable, and it's so good they be so good they're jealous of you. Be so good they claim you're photoshopped. Be so good they say you're AI because there's no way someone could be that good. And that's where the fundamentals that people like Scott Adams teach about talent stacking, developing your abilities to get results. If you can't post results, I don't want you reading my book. And I definitely don't want you writing a book. Otherwise, you'll be the blind, deaf, dumb, and mute, leading the blind, deaf, dumb, and mute. I've had clients like that. They're nightmares because they're vacuous. And I share in chapter three, I believe, a story of a bonafide celebrity that I ghost wrote for a number of years ago who was an empty pantsuit. And I had to invent an entire system for the book, the, a remarkable framework that the author had no clue how it worked. And then Ghostwriter laundered it into the industry. And now it's the gold standard of how to do things. And I completely made it up. And the author was all about mindset. And it's just getting your head right and mindset and... Just like every other self, a self-help self author. And that's another tip. Regardless of how large someone's following is, if they're continuously talking about mindset, they don't have any practical advice for you. Mm. It's a red flag. They're in it for the show. Move right along. You're better off following the person who has 5,000 followers who gives tangible, credible Results-provable advice, perhaps in the form of long Twitter threads, over the person who gets 1.1 million impressions on their platitude tweets about how critical a growth mindset is. So, even though that person who has 500,000 followers can sell a crap ton of copies of their book, I don't want to be their ghostwriter. I don't want them writing a book. They're going to make the world a more confused place. I say this, I would say the same thing to someone who's trying to use chat GPT to publish 50 books a month on various topics, which I happen to know a few people are doing, or perhaps more than a few people. Right now, there's eight an eight-figure number of books on Amazon that's going to, within a couple of years, become nine figures worth of b- total books available for sale on Amazon. So the standards are falling. The bar is dropping. But the prerequisite for greatness is getting higher by the day. The more schmucks and clown worlders who enter into your domain, onto Amazon, even competing with you directly. And if you are not so good, you're worthy of an authority book. Not going to make it.
0: It's an interesting point you bring up about the mindset lady. I was laughing to myself as I read that in the book because I know so many people who would answer that question about how they find success as in, I just had the right mindset. I just put my mind to it and I made it happen. The same kind of platitude advice you see on Twitter as you were just describing. How many of those books that I see in the airport or... At Barnes and Noble, that are self-help memoirs, business books, are they all ghost written?
1: Eight or nine out of ten are ghost written. Yes, and often it's the same people who are ghost writing similar books on the topic. So at that at that level, major presses, their authors and their ghost writers, are a bit polyamorous in that regard everyone's swapping and slurping around with everybody else. And that's how the book's ideas tended to be indistinguishable from one another. And this also is why the most common critical review on a given perennial bestselling self-help book, and I don't just mean like general success, advice, and inspiration. I even mean specific industries, even. The most common critical review is this person told me what to do, but not how to do it. I felt so inspired reading the book. And then when I finished, I realized I had no idea what to do next.
0: Mm. Tactical advice is very difficult. That's one of the things that I am so impressed with when I see a Twitter account that provides tactical advice day in and day out, and they need to repackage it in new and interesting ways um, every single day, every single week. Um, But you see those accounts grow definitely because it's so tactical. I completely agree that that is so valuable. Um, One of the things in your book that I thought was very interesting was that you, in writing your book, you need to feel like you are over-promising results to the customer. That's how you know that you are marketing it correctly. But at the same time, the client or the customer needs to feel like they are being over-delivered to how can you walk that line?
1: Yes, exactly. So, I mentioned earlier that other authors and other entrepreneurs and other business people in your domain are tending to overpromise and underdeliver. So they're promising great things and you must promise even greater things. Your promise must be cartoonishly fake, at least the veneer. And that is why the cover of my book is the great masterpiece by Leonardo da Vinci, the Mona Lisa, with a ridiculously uh, inappropriate Groucho Marx glasses disguise over the Mona Lisa's face. So at a glance, it's, oh, what is this? What what did he do? It looks defaced. That's ridiculous. And then you look closer and realize, oh, no, it's the real, it's a real Mona Lisa. It's just a stupid disguise on it that got my attention. Oh, I get it now. I get it now. So, your promises that you make. Now, again, we don't want to promise anything we can't deliver, make guarantees we can't back up, or otherwise doing anything that would result in federal prison sentences. Okay. We want to avoid that scenario. So, you got to be smart. And that's why I say this book is not for beginners, it's for people who know what they're doing, who are good at getting results, who know where the lines are, who know what the law is. This book is dangerous. For idiots. I do not want idiots reading the book. So I'm doing everything I can to mar- not just market the book, but anti market the book, I'm telling who I don't want reading it. And another type of person I don't want reading the book are midwits, sort of people who are like, hey, look, I found a typo. Look at this mistake. Ho, ho. So I have deliberately included a number of both writing, editing, and formatting mistakes throughout the book in order to get not just negative reviews from midwits. But one of the results of those are going to be, ah, everyone's criticizing the context of the book, the appearance of the book. No one's criticizing the content itself, the message itself. Oh, that's interesting. So it can be a book that is, uh, it's negative review review bait from midwits, but it will also repel people who care more about image than substance. So I'm making sure that I'm putting, ah. Uh, almost, you could call it a marketing hex on the book so that midwits, beginners, and people like Misty will never want anything to do with me. In fact, they'll tell their audiences they have nothing to do with me. And that will result in, let's say, skeptics within this community who are not believers of uh, mindset, mindset, mindset to find their way over to me, buy my book, become convinced, and to topple the Mistys of the world as the number ones in their space. So I'm playing the long game here and it is risky. It is risky. This is why people who learn the fundamentals and then the advanced stuff, the special and dangerous content of hypnosis, why they lie and say it's not hypnosis or they use the lie of omission and don't tell people that what they're doing is the basics of hypnosis. They want to cover their tracks. I understand. I understand. and I've. Notice the same thing myself. And that's why I'm doing what I can to both market and anti-market the book. And I've never seen anyone else do it this way. But I'm also the only certified ghost credit hypnotist in the world. So perhaps there's multiple trails to blaze here. And once again, Bow Tide Commoner, I've forgotten what the initial question was that you asked, but you seem to have led us here to this interesting uh set of insights and anecdotes. And for that, I thank you. But would you remind me what the question was that week?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Joshua, I have absolutely no idea what the original question was. But I was thinking because of the colorful insights that you just delivered about how you are so similar in some of your positions to the famed bowtie bull. He also says to only sell to the rich. If you don't do A lot of the things that he suggests, you are simply not going to make it. He often anti-markets his Twitter account to try to uh, drain or to cull those who cannot keep up to avoid the midwits as much as possible. So I am wondering if by having the first real person on the Common Sense podcast, I accidentally had Bowtied Bull on the podcast,
1: well, that's one thing that, that, that could be interpreted that way. As far as I know, I'm, I'm not Bowtie Bull. <laughs> I've been a reader and uh, occasional devotee for uh, a number of years. I've I've noticed that Bowtie Bull posts and Mike Cernovich content have an outsized number of typographical errors. <laughs> and that's what turned me on to the fact that typos are a persuasion technique. Because in order to attract the people you want, you must at the same time, perhaps even more importantly, repel those who don't. And something that Michael Cernovich does is whenever someone quote-unquote corrects his typo, he names and shames them. And that allows everyone in his audience to also name and shame, or at the very least, mute and or block that particular social media users. Uh, Because people who care about the veneer over the substance... Are not surnose people. They're not formerly known as Wall uh, Street playboys, uh, bow bull. They're not that type of. Uh, they're just not. They're not a fit, and they're not a fit for me either. And I've done it intentionally. Some of them are hilariously bad, and I'm hoping that we can get some negative, uh, some negative press and some attention. Of look at this book production expert whose book looks like crap. Ha ha ha! You gotta see this. And then there's a major publication writing a tell-all story on me. Look at this fake who wrote a book called So Good They Call You a Fake, which is about how people who are great at what they do are called fake by publications like us. And it's over on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'll see if it works. It's a test. And... I'm with this book launch testing a bunch of things that I, I would deem as risky and radical and some things I've, so I've not recommended to other clients before. So we'll have to see how this goes.
0: I think toying with Reply Guys is one of the quiet joys of life. I've made some controversial videos in my past. And in one of them, I was examining, <laughs> for someone who's not familiar, it may seem a bit strange, but... What percentage of the American populace, the female American populace, is of a desirable stature just based on the data that is available to us? And I opened the video by saying not only are women aging at incredible rates, but they're also getting fatter. And the number of comments that I've gotten about how women can't age at higher rates than time itself is truly, (laughs) truly... (laughs) gets me going every time
1: yeah that's the way to do it is is to incite a uh, a a mob to come and cancel you and like i said that's what uh happened to me it was fantastic and i would do it again and it's uh, a a matter of testing different things and see what um what pokes the leviathan and gets its attention
0: fascinating stuff um I think that this has been quite a successful conversation on my end. I don't know about you, Joshua, but rather colorful and elegant vocabulary for a common sense podcast. So I thank you very much for coming on. And for those who are listening, where would you most like to direct them right now?
1: Go to Amazon and purchase So Good They Call You a Fake. Read it in its entirety and write an honest review. I do not care if I get 51 star reviews. That only allows my legend to spread because then the story is, a guy wrote a book called So Good They Call You a Fake and everyone's calling him a fake. That is one of the absolute best possible outcomes of it. It's, it's a, a bit of a meta marketing. But if it is, in fact, a great book, then go ahead and give it a four or five star <laughs> review. But what I'm saying is that I need to, by design, get negative reviews because the highest credibility review rating average is 4.2 to 4.4 stars. And I have so many fans who buy everything I sell that it's going to be difficult to get the average lower than 4.9. So I got to work for it.
0: <laughs> Alrighty, folks. So you heard him. Go give the book a try. And then... You know, if you find it to be so good that it seems fake, you can, of course, purchase some of his other content, perhaps buy a course, and then perhaps become a client of the ghost publishing uh, empire that Mr. Lysik has created. In other words, upsell you four times as he instructs his clients to do so. So in that way, thank you so much. Joshua, it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Same for me, Bowtie Commoner. Thank you.
0: Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening. This has been yet another episode of Common Sense. If you liked the conversation, please consider hitting that follow button on Spotify. Oh, and tell everyone you've ever met to do the same. And while you're feeling generous, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel? I promise I've ridiculed at least one of the identity groups you dislike. You have a great day now.